ahead and make your way over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We'll be in verses 11 and 12 here in a bit. And as you're making your way over there, let me just get out of the way why it's titled Talking Scubula. Uh, my daughter wanted to know, and I told her you'd find out in a minute. And then she said, can you tell me now so I can feel like I'm smarter than everybody? I did not tell her. So she's not smarter than you if you don't know what that means. Uh, scubula is a Greek word that James never uses, but the Apostle Paul uses the word in Philippians 3.8, and, and there it's, it's translated usually as, as rubbish, like trash, the British trash idea. Uh, here's what Paul says. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, scubula, in order that I may gain Christ. And so this word scubula is used for both trash uh, it was also used in Greek for dung, or as we would say in our modern day, poop, uh, right? But uh, gross things, and you're like, well, that's great, thank you. Um, I, the reason Paul uses it, right, is because it is these, these gross things. That, that's what is, is trying to point this with, with this force, and that's why I use it in the title today, because as we get into this, hopefully it makes a little more sense, but I want you to really get this sense in which the words that come out of our mouths, uh, sometimes when we are talking trash about someone, they are really gross. They are really disgusting. They are things we do not want coming out of our mouth. And so that's why scubula, now you, now you know. You can feel as smart as Berkeley. So then last week, James is teaching us how to properly relate to God, right? Between us and, and God. It's a vertical aspect there. And he's talking about we're seeing repentance and we're seeing humility last week. Uh, today, James is teaching us how to relate properly with each other. It's a more... Um, horizontal kind of relationship. Uh, and, and, and listen, let me, let me tell you again, though, right, that, that James is a hard book. And if you've been with us as we've been going through that, you've figured it out by now. Uh, I don't know that we even like James at this point because he's constantly convicting us with stuff. He's pushing us beyond our, um, our, our natural viewpoints. And, and one of the things that's great about James, though, is that he pushes our, our, our understanding of theology beyond this intellectual idea uh, you know, what do you think? What are you confessing? What are you affirming? And he's pushing us to this point of, of action, right? Show me what you believe. And, and really, that's why James is, is so annoying, because these words over and over, it feels like, convict us week after week, and it's good for us, even if we don't naturally love it at first. Now, if, if we were to say, what's the theme of the book? I almost want to just hear what you'd say, right? What, what's the whole theme of this book? But I'll, I'll keep it simple. I'll just tell you what I would do, right? Chapter 1, verse 22, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only is the overarching theme of this book. And, and one of the hardest places where you and I struggle to be doers of the words is in regards to the words that come out of our mouths. And you probably know that by this point in your life, Right? Um, we, we've seen James already deal with this before back in James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. A few verses later in 126, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. In 3.5, he warned us that the tongue is this, this fire that sets things ablaze and is incredibly destructive. And in 3.8, James said, your tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And who among us hasn't felt the poisonous fangs of someone's words critically, harshly, maybe even unfairly, striking us to the very core? 
But also the flip side of that is true. Maybe it's my words. Maybe it's your words that are poison-filled, that are cursing people made in the image of God. And once again today, here comes James talking about our speech with this convicting aspect, right, as he is plunging the dagger of God's word right in, into the heart of our sinful way of thinking and speaking. So that's what we have today. Are you ready for it? Either way, here we go. Let's, let's read James 4, 11 and 12. Y'all seem kind of asleep. Are you awake today? You're awake? Okay, because I just you look like zombies right now. I need you to wake up. All right. James 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, as you have told us, it is out of the abundance of the heart that our mouths speak. Help us to understand what is going on in our hearts based on what is coming out of our mouths. Please enlighten our minds to grasp these two verses, to actively, intentionally apply them uh, to our lives as we understand them today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So just as a reminder, I think we need to hear this sometimes, is that James is not writing to everyone in the world. It would be good if everyone in the world were to follow this, right? But that's not who he is intending this letter is not written to specifically. He is writing specifically to churches, right? He's writing specifically to Christians. Uh, he is concerned specifically with how you, who are redeemed by the blood of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, how you talk about others here. Yes, including those outside of the church. We, we see that with the use uh, of the word neighbor there at the end of verse 12. But, but even more significantly is, is how you and I speak and judge one another within the church. What, what is the way we talk about each other, maybe even to each other? And we, we see that in the very first line here. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And yes, brothers includes you sisters. And, and, and so when we were in chapter 3, I, I mentioned each of us speaks, do you remember how many words you speak a day? Someone said it over here, 16,000. Yeah, 16,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. But, but that also means if we are speaking that many words a day, that there is a lot of opportunity for, for us to sin with our words, for us to speak in a way that is, that is ungodly. And, and that's why it is so important for us that we are constantly evaluating what we are saying, that we don't just do it flippantly all the time and, and, and really understand why am I saying the things I am saying, um, which we usually only do after someone reacts poorly to whatever it is we said. But to just be analyzing, what, what do my words actually reveal about my heart? What's going on there? And if you're like me, you don't always like the answer when you ask that question. Now, be vulnerable with yourself for a moment. You don't have to shout those out loud. Out loud but uh, have you ever been mad at someone or found you just don't like someone for any reason at all, right? And, and, and you tell a story about them that paints them in a negative way because you want to somehow justify your frustrations, your feelings about them, whatever the situation is, and, and so that's the way you tell your story. Maybe you even left out details, right, about whatever rude thing you did or whatever you contributed to whatever the conflict might be going on right here. And you do this, right, because you want to make them look worse than they actually are or, or really to make you look better than them in some way. 
And it's a serious question. Is that something you've ever found yourself doing? Again, you're just staring at me. Nobody, I admit, I have done that before in my life. I, I absolutely have. I'm not proud of it, but I have. And, and the bigger question here is, why do we do this? And, and the answer to that question comes from um, last week's passage, right? We, we do this because we are prideful. We do this because we actually lack humility. And so we want to make ourselves look better. We want to make ourselves feel better. And, and one of the easiest ways to do that is just to present someone, try to paint a picture of someone that makes them look worse, worse than ourselves at least. Uh, and, and that's what happens, right? And so I open my mouth and these words come out. And what we find is, or I find, right, is my, my pride's no longer inside. It has now gone out to, to others. In other words, we, we weaponize our speech against fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, other children of God. And so, what exactly then does James mean when he says, do not speak evil against one another? That, that whole phrase, speak evil against, sorry, there's a little bit of Greek in this one this week. Uh, it's just one word in the Greek. You've seen this over and over in, in James, right? This is a really fun sounding Greek word, though. Uh, Katalileo. That sounds, I don't know, islandy. Uh, Katalileo. And and like a lot of Greek words, it's this compound Greek word. Kata means against, which you probably know by now because we've talked about that one a lot. And leleo is, is to speak. And so it means to speak against somebody. Now, if you're really paying attention, you might have noticed I didn't mention the word evil. Where's the word evil? Well, the word evil isn't even in the Greek here. Uh, we put it in the English because that's, that's James's whole point here. To, to speak against a brother or sister in Christ, that... That is evil. That is to speak evil if we're going to speak against them. And speaking against a fellow Christian can take lots of forms. You, you probably know these. One form is certainly gossip and, and its fraternal twin, right? Slander. To, to gossip is to share a story with someone that it should not be shared with. Uh, and, and what's more, we can speak evil even when we are telling the absolute truth. I mean, how many times has someone tried to defend the gossip? of uh, like? But it's true. It's absolutely true. So... There are times when we shouldn't be sharing information that we should just be keeping to ourselves. Now, to slander is to create or spread false stories or information about someone, usually damaging to their reputation. And both gossip and slander are sins, and, and they both cause real harm to relationships, to reputations. Now, kind of on the flip side, we don't think about it, but flattery is also a form of speaking even, evil. I don't know, it's, a, it's an old famous phrase, if you will, or distinction between slander and flattery that rolls off the tongue kind of nice. Slander is saying behind someone's back what you'd never say to her face. And flattery is saying to someone's face what you'd never say behind her back. Now our independent American sentiment's not going to like this, but un ungracious criticism or rejection of those in rightful places of authority is a form of speaking evil against fellow Christians. In Exodus 16, the, the people are complaining, right? They're out in the wilderness and um, they grumble against their God-given leaders. That's uh, Moses and Aaron. And they're just mad because, right, they had all this good food back in Egypt, um, including melons. And uh, they're mad. And so they, they want out of the wilderness and they're so mad that in verse 8, you know, they've been complaining. And Moses says this in verse 8 back there, um, Exodus 16, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And, and of course, we speak evil when we make judgments of others. I think this is one of the sins we probably commit most often without even a flinch of, why did I do that? Uh, that that's what we see in the second half of verse 11 here. Have a look. 
The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. First, let's get this out of the way. There is a type of judgment that is necessary. Sometimes we want to take a passage of scripture and, and sandbox it and pretend like it's a, there's no, you know, everywhere, everywhere, always, this is the case. Now, there's a particular type of judgment, and we'll get to that, that he's talking about. But there are some times it is necessary. Uh, juries need to make judgments, right? In the court of law, there are judgments that are made. The elders in the church, there are times when someone under our, our care is, is into sin and will not repent of that sin. That's the key. And, and judgment has to be made. We, we see this in Matthew 18. And it's true, Jesus, in John 7, 24, uh, calls out the Pharisees, right, for the judgments that they are making on him. And he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, you're getting it all wrong anyway. And so while there are some official places where judgment is necessary, overwhelmingly, and what James is getting at, is, is that there is no need or we have no right for us to be judging each, each other. Um, not like we actually do. Now, uh, more to James's context here, you and I both know that our, our judgment of others, when we do it, if we're honest, it is, it is just this act of monumental pride when we do it. Somehow, deep down, it makes us feel better because of their sin. Now, let's consider a few examples, right? Uh, I admit, I, I used to, when I would go to worship service at college and afterwards, right, I would complain about the worship service. I would come out like, a, like I was a professional worship service critic, and I could tell you, like, oh, they did this and that, right? And, and now I get to hear complaints, which is wonderful, uh, right? The sermons are too long. Tim's silent confession is too long. It'll probably be Travis's after today, too. Uh, Ryan's pastoral prayers are too long. The, the music should be more modern. Or the music should be all classic hymns. The, the, the music, you know, notes should be in the bulletin. The words should be projected on a screen because it's so much easier. Uh, you know, we make these, these judgments all the time. We, we, we also make these ungracious judgments at each other. Um, all sorts of things. Do you, do you see how clean Dorothea's house is? Must be nice to be able to afford a maid a few times a week. Right? Clark is such a stingy cheapstake. Why, why won't he spend money on anything? Uh, they act like they're poor, but they all have Apple devices. Or how in the world can they afford to eat out as often as they eat out? Uh, did you hear Drew lost his job again? He must be the worst employee ever. How come Marjorie never volunteers to help with the nursery? I do it all the time, and I don't even have a kid, right? She has six of them, and they're in there. He never volunteers. I, I think Stephen skips church more than he actually attends. You can tell the, you know, by the immodest way that Daisy May dresses that she's not a Christian, at least not a good Christian. Now, you never judge someone based on their parenting? Ever? No one wants to admit this, right? Or let's just, they homeschool their kids, so of course they're weird and antisocial. They public school their children? How can a genuine Christian care so little about their child's discipleship that they would hand them over to Caesar like that? Now, their children are so out of control, there's no way they read Shepherding a Child's Heart like we did. Or just something that communicates that your kids are better behaved, or more athletic, or better musically, or intellectually, or more godly, or anything of that nature. You know, college students, you ever judge a fellow Christian because of the, the fraternity that they're part of, or the sorority they're part of? I know back when I was in school, was, oh, you bought your friends, huh? We, we are so quick with this venom on our lips. And sometimes our judgment is just, you know, analyzing situations unjustly. We, we tend to assume the worst when we see things. I, you know, or I, I am such a better friend than she is without realizing what's reality here. 
Or, or did, you, did you hear Romeo say uh, luck instead of providence? Or did you see that Juliet listens to Hillsong United, right? Are they even reformed? Uh, one aspect of why we shouldn't judge is we are so wrong so often. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Laura and I were at one of Beckham's tennis matches, matches um, and we're looking at our son out there and thinking, if I didn't know him, this is good for you, son. Oh, you're not even in here. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> uh, looking at him, it's just like, if I didn't know him, I would think he was this arrogant, self, you know, entitled, rich kid with all these nice gear and playing tennis with special lessons all week long, you know, you know all, all the time. And, and just watching him, that's the way you would judge this. When, when reality is he bought his own racket from mowing lawns, and, and other than when he destroys me in the summer, which isn't hard to do, he doesn't ever play, touch his racket, hardly, uh, which is a whole other reason to judge him. A lazy bum. <laughs> but, but anyway, just this realization that, that we're thinking about how quickly we make these judgments based on so little information uh, when we don't, just don't know anything about the situation. Now, the irony here is that while we are talking about this, he's playing this kid who would, wouldn't run after anything. And, and in our conversation about how we're talking about we get these judgments wrong all the time. You know that? And, and before we know it, we're talking about this kid is, why is he so lazy? He's not hustling after anything. And made this total judgment about his, his kind of play character, if you will. And then we find out, like, 30 minutes later, the guy had injured his leg. That's why he's not chasing anything. And, you know, again, we don't have all the information. Um, how often? We just don't know. But, but more to James's point, only God is the rightful judge. Look again what James says in the rest of the passage. Uh, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You following the logic here? He, he's saying, when you speak against a fellow Christian, right, you, you are speaking this this evil against the, the word of God. And, and, and when you judge your fellow believer, you are judging God's word. And, and his point is, who do you think you are? Why do you do this? Are, are you the lawgiver? In other words, are you God? Do you think you have a right to do this? Because only God has the right to give the law and to judge others. And, and then he reminds us that we are supposed to be doers of the law, not, not the judge over it. And when you and I make these judgments on our fellow disciples of Christ, we stop being humble followers of God, and, and, and we elevate ourselves to this position of judge, to this position of lawgiver, to this position of, okay, you and me, God, let's judge these, these sinners, right? It's not like that, though. In, in essence, rather than submitting ourselves under God's law, along with everyone else, we are elevating ourselves above the law, and we use it as we see fit to judge others. It, it, it's this weird thing that happens. I, I can remember in elementary school, I don't have my notes, this is always risky. Um, when anyone, we, we had this safety monitor position in the hallway, and you got to wear this orange sash across with a badge on it, and every time someone became a safety monitor, it just went to their heads with power. They would judge everyone for everything. They're writing 15 names in there. Like, you, you were running. I was walking fast. You were running. And it's just this weird thing of how quickly we, we want to judge everyone. And, and when they weren't on duty, they would do the same thing. Anyway, uh, so the only person with the authority to judge my neighbor is, is the Lord God Almighty. That doesn't mean we don't see sin. 
But how do you react when you see that? It doesn't mean you can't observe that, oh, that is indeed wrong, but, but, but judgment is not just when you see that, but you go beyond that. It's this condemning attitude uh, and, and mentally, internally, or towards them after that, right? And, and, and only God can do it, and that's why James says there is only one lawgiver and judge. To, to put this stupidly simple, God doesn't call you to judge your neighbor. He calls you to love your neighbor. And sometimes we switch that around and just run with it. And, and speaking evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ and even our neighbors, it, it really only serves to pridefully promote ourselves, even if it's just internally. And, and so let's stop that. Let's, let's learn to love each other and, and encourage each other because true Christian humility lifts others up so that they might see God and, and rest in His compassion and, and flourish in His friendship. Now, now, Kelly Capick, in his book, You're Only Human, uh, I know John Dunning was reading No, John, you're only going to read half of it. John Fregon was reading it. And, and now, you're reading it with me, too. Awesome. Okay. So, anyway, here's what he says. Um, How easy is it for us to look at others and judge their parenting skills? Someone struggles to keep a job or excel in school, and we sit in silent judgment. The rich judge the poor, the poor judge the rich. Some struggle with controlling their appetites, while others try to be in control of everything, and so we judge each other. We find it is easy to be judgmental when either of two things happen. When we are ignorant of the details and complexity of a situation, or when we are ignorant of our own shortcomings and sin, we are all in need of grace and forgiveness. And we know that last part. You and I are in need of grace and forgiveness. Now, near the end of our passage, James says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who is that? And surely you figure that out. God. God has a right to judge, and he judges rightly. He judges justly. And has God saved you because you managed to be so good, so holy, so perfect? Is that what's going on in your salvation? No, he saved you because of Jesus. He's given you grace freely because that's what you need. If you weren't poorly judged by the law, right? You wouldn't need a Savior. Now, what if God, though, right, were were to say out loud everything true about you right now? Everything. Every sinful word you've ever said to someone, every hateful thing you've ever thought about someone, every lustful thought, every secret sin that you, you think you've hidden from people, and He just said it, spoke it out loud, let's just tell everybody else about you. Would you feel the the shame of that? Would you feel the guilt of that to be crushing? And I I think when we begin to see this, we begin to understand an aspect of the gospel that doesn't always sink into us. We we begin to understand that, no, God doesn't humiliate us like that. He knows all the trash on you, everything, right? But he doesn't humiliate like like that, Not, not like we do to each other so often. When we gossip, when we slander, when we judge, when we take shameful delight in airing other people's dirty laundry for all to know. Instead, God, the only righteous judge, the only holy one, God gives you grace. He gives you forgiveness. He covers your offenses with His sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection from the grave. The the judge becomes our Savior, and as we learned last week, God gives grace to the humble. And so I have just a few last thoughts here today. To to start, sometimes we act like, like our words can't be stopped. I think we do this with a lot of categories of sin, but we almost write it off like, like I can't really change the color of my eyes, truly, 
It's just, that's just what they are. And sometimes we think, I can't control my words, it's just how I am. I just say this crazy stuff and, and, and dismiss it. it. It's not like that. Our, our words can be brought under, under the, you know, the, God's word and, and into a way that is right. Um, if that were not true, God would not command us in this first verse that we looked at today to, to do not speak evil against one another. Now, saying that doesn't mean it's easy. It's incredibly hard. This morning, do you see the need for a renewed way of, of thinking and, and speaking in your life, uh, particularly about your, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, your fellow disciples of Christ? I mean, do you feel conviction for the things that you have, you've said recently? I mean, if so, that's good. That's real good, right? That's the Holy Spirit at work in you. That's really good because you, you and that's really good, right? Because you can't obey in your own strength. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit to reveal what's going on in your heart. And, and when you're next tempted, right, to, 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 to speak, uh, you know, when you're next tempted to speak against your fellow Christians, to just rip on them, to judge them in some way, you, you need the Word of God applied to your, your, your heart if you're going to relate to, to God and to others properly. How we speak to one another and how we speak about one another is vital to our growth and in grace individually, but also our unity and love for one another as a, as a body, as the body of Christ, as the church, as this covenant community. And, and so let me give just a few suggestions on how we can positively make it our aim to be gracious to one another, to encourage one another when, when we see the opportunity to just be judgmental. Um, and, and the first is, is this, and I kind of touched on it, but he says it better. Uh, let's be gracious, for as um, F.B. Meyer once wrote, he said, when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are three things we do not know. Number one, we do not know how hard he or she has tried not to sin. Number two, we do not know the power of the forces uh, uh, that assailed him or her. And number three, we also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. Right? How many times do you want to just be mad at Adam and Eve. And at some point you're like, you know what, I probably would have done that too. Alright, so second, this doesn't mean that you can never talk about others. I think sometimes we hear it's like, okay, so everything I say is going to be judgmental or talking against my brother or sister in Christ. So we just can't even talk about each other anymore. And that's just not true. Uh, you, you can share all sorts of encouraging things going on about someone's life. Um, it's not as fun. You won't get people as interested. Uh, but you certainly can do that. Uh, you can also share not gossipy, but legit prayer needs uh, with those you know, right? They wouldn't mind if I shared this. It's a, one of our mutual friends. They, you know, we're praying for them. They'd be comfortable with that. You can do that. You can observe and acknowledge when someone is in a sinful habit. You don't have to pretend like you don't see it. You don't know it, right? But, but this is where it's hard. I don't think we like things. We want everything black and white. I do this or I don't do this. But this comes in when there's, there's this discernment that has to play out. What, what is your real reason, right, as you see this? Why do you want to discuss what's going on in their life? What's your real, genuine, heart, honest, honestly, heart reason for doing this, right? And, and so that means maybe we need to pray about it first, pray for discernment, and then be able to answer, if we're going to have this discussion, are, are, are we going to discuss it with a mutual, if I'm going to discuss this with a mutual friend because our plan is to go to them and actually talk to them, to see what's going on, how can we encourage you, or have you, you know, anything like that, how, how can we assist a struggling friend in this fight against sin or even just understanding it? And, and if not, if that's not your goal, and this is where it kind of be a helpful, helpful understanding, if that's not your goal, don't even have the conversation because what are you really doing here? It, it, how is it going to progress beyond just gossip and, and slander of someone at this moment? Third, since you have received mercy, 
right? If your faith is in Christ, you've received mercy. And since you've received mercy, not judgment from God who is holy, you should show mercy, not judgment to others. That one's simple. Uh, fourth, uh, we also, in essence, we speak against our brothers and sisters when we listen to those who are slandering and gossip. Have the courage to push back. And I know that puts you in awkward situations sometimes. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, but have the courage to push back. If, if needed, maybe say something like, this kind of feels like gossip, right? This feels like gossip. I, or, or you can say, I, just, I don't want to know anymore. Don't tell me anymore because there's nothing good I'm going to do with that information. Just don't share it. Or, or maybe you ask, you ask someone, all right, so if what you're saying is true about them in this situation, how are, how are you and I going to encourage, go and encourage her right now? What are we going to do with this, right? Uh, fifth, bringing your words in submission, into submission to God will be a lifetime of training. Don't think you're going to walk out of here and be like, all right, I got it. I just need to know what to do. I'm good now. It, it is going to be an ongoing struggle like an athlete. You're going to need to constantly reevaluate, think about it. You're going to come back and, and need to make adjustments. You're going to need to repent when, when, um, to God when needed. You're going to need to ask forgiveness of others when that's appropriate. It, it's a process. But, but be in that process. Be evaluating that. Uh, sixth, uh, a fellow PCA pastor, uh, Zach Eswine, he wrote this book called Sensing Jesus. And speaking of judgment, don't judge the book on that ridiculous name, Sensing Jesus. Um, it's a wonderful book, and, and it's given me one of the most helpful phrases of my life. Uh, a phrase that has done wonders for my heart, and I think it might do the same for you, so I want to share it with you right now. Uh, if you have been in our kitchen, you might have seen this. Laura wrote it on a board, so we can see it all the time. Um, and the phrase, is, the phrase is this, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I, I say this when I know that things are out of my control, when I realize uh, I can't save people, I can't give faith, I can't bring about conviction for sin, I can't take away pain, I can't redeem anyone. I am not the Christ. I, I remind myself of these words when I try to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. I am not the Christ. I, I can't fix all those things. But, but also, I speak this phrase when I find myself prideful. When I look at others and I begin to smugly judge them. When I just want to rip into someone because it makes me feel better. I, I say it because I don't have the right to judge them. And why is that? Because I am not the Christ. And neither are you. And praise the Lord for that. Um, finally, I, I want to end just with these words from 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And I want to end with these words. It's, you know, we're jumping over to a whole different book here. Uh, I, because they are these positive instructions. I think sometimes we hear these, don't speak evil, and you just want to sit back and be quiet. And, and so much of the Christian, what, what we are encouraged to do is a, a positive outworking of, of do this, do this, positive instructions. Um, and, and so, right, instead of speaking against each other, instead of self-righteously judging each other, here's what God calls us to do from, from 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And that's what I'm asking of you today. To, to look around this room. Like, take a moment. Actually look around this room for a second. Do the weird thing. You might make eye contact. And you're like, oh, that was weird. Really weird. Um, these are people that you are walking the Christian life with. These are people that, that need your encouragement. You might not know it. Um, and you all do a great job of encouraging each other. I am so impressed. I see these things all the time. The, 
you know, little events for each other, inviting people over, and I'll see you out doing things together, and I love it. And if you're not feeling that, I, I bet it's because someone doesn't know that you need help, so do make your needs known as, as they occur. Uh, but y'all do a great job, and I just want to encourage you, keep doing that. Let's, let's do that as a, as a covenant community, as a church family, right, that we do keep encouraging each other. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us in submission to you to deeply, truly recognize that the throne of judgment belongs to you and not to us. We are so thankful that this is the case for you judge justly and you accept the sacrifice of Jesus as full payment for, for my guilt, for, for our guilt, if our faith is in Christ. And, and Holy Spirit, our, our words are often full of complaints. We confess that. Complaints about others. Um, we talk a lot of scubala. Um, our, our words are often slanderous and cruel-hearted and, and even untrue. Lord, if, if we feel conviction now for past words, this is good. Thank you. But my, my prayer for your people here today, Lord, is that you will give us conviction in the moment. That, that you, Holy Spirit, would give us strength and wisdom to use our words to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, even if that's not natural to us. We, we know that, that it's a work you can supernaturally do in us, and we ask that. Uh, it's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.